what conditions are stipulations. Magic tricks or manipulations interjecting conversation. I don't want to talk about it. Live from New York, it is Wednesday night. I'm sorry if I have to wiggle around. My hip is so You got a bad hip. Crotchety. I do. Get stiff in the <laughs> in the rainy season. Did I tell you that ever since we talked about your bird shirt, I've been getting ads for the bird shirt? Yeah, that's really fucking creepy. I've I don't never like seen that. it before. The worst one that I had like that was when I was going from it was in Guilford, Connecticut. It's not a big place. I was coming from Phoenix. And as I was on the bus to the funeral, I got a Facebook ad for a shirt that said, I'm just a Phoenix girl living in a Guilford world. That is super specific. And why would I ever want that? (laughs) Have you seen those trucker t-shirts? Like Like go back to where they just get more and more specific. Yeah, it'll be like, I'm a a trucker. I'm a trucker. I was born in August. I like boobs and beer. And if you try to take my gun, I'm going to kick your butt. But it all fits in the back of a t-shirt. Yeah. You just need to get a blog and put all of your thoughts on that instead right. of on your t-shirt. Uh, and if you have many thoughts. If they're not unique in such a way that you can just get a t-shirt that expresses your entire ideology, it's a bad sign. I did see a good tweet response that was like, imagine actually moving based on the message you saw on one of those shirts. And they're like, oh, so I don't like you welders. Here? I'll take myself elsewhere. Yeah. Oh, so why'd you move to town? <laughs> well, it started, I saw this shirt. There were too many welders in my former city. (laughs) Boy, it really woke me up. Uh, Guys, this is exceedingly persuasive. I'm Brooke Rogers. I like to think it is. I'm Mackenzie Brennan. And we keep forgetting to mention that somebody asked us where our name came from in our election thing. Ah, yes. Would you like to... I'll do the honors. Exceedingly persuasive is the standard applied under the Equal Protection Clause to laws that discriminate against women from the VMI case, the U.S. versus Virginia case, and the opinion was written by Justice Ginsburg, and it said, if a law discriminates against women, it is unconstitutional without an exceedingly persuasive justification for doing so. We would like to say, just don't discriminate against women. It's so much easier not to. Huh. The X's are for X chromosomes. Uh, so, oh, totally forgot to, I wanted to qualify my comment last week. I haven't gotten any backlash yet, but maybe it's in some men's hearts. I'm not anti-uncircumcised dick. To turn a phrase, I know uncircumcised dicks. Uncircumcised dicks have been my friend. They're fine. They're fine people. They're fine people. No, yeah, we don't want want people who are, you know, I don't think it's a smart piece of a platform, particularly because when parents are making that decision, they don't know if their son will want to have sex with other men. And so I feel like it should be a more informed conversation and maybe not more nuanced and don't ban it but don't we, ban we, it you know don't what we it. love you all we love we you love all don't all of don't you. feel bad about any situation that you might be in okay <laughs> so now we are going to move on to actually the day that we are recording this this is going to sorry we had to switch gear real You're hard with here us. get the wd-40 um, and let's move <laughs> over the last couple of weeks there have been three mass shootings and today there was a shootout in South Philly mm. between police and someone who I believe they were trying to arrest for narcotics. It and was one person, right? I think it was list, just yeah. one who had the gun, but uh, seven police officers. So that just adds 
one more shooting and you know instance of gun violence in the last couple of weeks um we're going to talk about that today we're going to go through the history of the second amendment the the history of mass shootings a little bit and how uh, we got to this point basically and we're gonna go through some solutions and debunk some proposed solutions i Um, have many thoughts on some of the proposed solutions yeah quote unquote solutions I think this is one that we tend to be pretty synced on. Uh, there are some issues that were divergent, and this is one that I think we are largely the same. But some things by way of update and deaths of pedophiles that we don't want to not address this week. So who was that pedophile who died recently? Uh, you know oh, what? Yeah. Before we get to Jeffy Boy, Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Long live Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, <laughs> I kid. Yeah, he can go straight to hell. Super glad he's dead. Um, And I don't say that lightly. But we did want to say, so last week we had gone through the Democratic primary candidates who are still hanging on. And we ended on Kamala Harris and Brooke and my divergent opinions on specifically her her record with truancy as a prosecutor. And so I, I brought it up with a coworker of mine who was an ADA in Manhattan, an assistant district attorney, and obviously has, has done a lot of similar work and could help me parse through what the bounds of prosecutorial discretion are and things like that. She actually worked as an ADA with John John Kennedy. So that is her. <laughs> the Kennedys just keep they popping keep coming up, up in, this in, show our and in our lives. But one helpful parallel that she presented to me was the issue of DV, of domestic violence cases, when a parent was the victim of this, and there had been multiple instances, and they were still with the abuser, and they had a minor child living with them in the situation. She said that even though the parent was the victim and not necessarily doing anything wrong independently, because the child faced harm and the parent wasn't able to stop it, she would have the parent arrested. And that, to me, was a helpful parallel to see what a prosecutor's role is when the child's interests are worth jeopardizing the parent's... I have a question that might be a stupid question, sure. but I would like to ask sure just to not. clarify. Yeah. In those cases... Is the abusive spouse arrested as well, or is oh, it just yeah. the person? Okay, yeah. so it's... It would just more be, like, alerting ACS the third time or so. If they Because obviously the and... parent is not able to protect the child in that yeah. scenario, and even though they're a victim themselves. Noting that it is extremely hard to get out of uh, abusive right. relationships, and oftentimes Almost it can become more deadly if you leave. But Adds I... to how complicated it is and highlights that Sometimes these situations are so fraught when a parent is the only means of protecting a child and that's not working. It's not necessarily because there's a black and white right and wrong Mm. answer. It's just if the solution for the law enforcement office is to protect the child, it has to take a certain form at a certain point. So Yeah, and I, I think that I do see the argument there. I think that I personally would maintain that truancy is it's not as there's not such an immediate danger. And I know that you were talking about the effects of truancy and how that can play a big role. And mm-hmm. again, I would say that anything that we can do that does not mean that a parent has to interact with a carceral system yeah. is better. But I do see the argument there that um, when you're endangering a child, those steps need to be taken. It, it kind of cuts both ways because it is a less immediate harm, but it also, I think, puts in stark contrast the fact of harm. It's and tangible harm, but not immediate exactly. harm. Exactly, yeah. And they actually would use 
things like that if legislatures were not realizing. Another example was prostitution Mm -hmm. when the Johns weren't getting arrested. So it's like, hey, let's bring attention to the fact that we're doing this unilaterally. Legislature, change this. But then the other thing that actually cut in the direction of what you were saying about Kamala Harris being less than progressive maybe even as a prosecutor is the death penalty example, which I I think it was Tulsi who brought it up and challenged her record having brought cases that either recommended the death penalty or ended in the death penalty when that was still legal in California. And so uh, this is another thing that I asked my coworker about. If the death penalty is legal in a state, what are the bounds of a prosecutor's role? And she's like, well, you know, our judge actually refused. And Kamala Harris didn't refuse. Our judge actually got into a very public conflict with Governor Pataki because he refused to recommend the death penalty. Pataki. I know. And the governor took the case away from the DA's office, and my judge sued the governor. The more I hear about your judge, the more I like him. And I just, as someone who's heard so many bad judge stories, I've said this before, but... I'm so happy that your judge exists. I accidentally fell in with the best people. But okay, speaking of people wanna... who are not the best. Speaking of death penalties. Hey, oh, true. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, over the weekend, noted serial child abuser, Jeffrey Epstein. Storied uh, He committed suicide in his cell. He did now. So... Me and my roommate have been just oh boy, am I gonna lead in conspiracy theories? It doesn't ever get too wild, but more the fact that there were the place where he was being held, which I think was the Metropolitan Correctional Center, and he had made a suicide attempt about two weeks prior, and he had been on suicide watch. A suicide attempt because he was kind of. That's another crazy thing is he was talked about with this ex cop who had ties to the mob. Oh yeah, we went through that too, and that it was marks on his neck, and he was whimpering on the floor. And uh, so we so weren't we, there, we weren't sure if it was an attack or a suicide attempt, yeah. but it was ruled a suicide attempt. He was put on suicide watch, and then his own lawyers Promptly. argued for him to be taken off suicide watch. Hey man, maybe he wanted to die. And honestly, even though this is less conspiracy theory esque, yeah. and so you'll hate that I'm ascribing it to you, oh. but one of the best takes I have heard on this situation that I have uh, quoted you on many times since is, "Yeah, okay, a lot of powerful men wanted him dead." But he probably also wanted him dead. I mean, he went from being a very wealthy, powerful guy who lived in a mansion and mm-hmm. had his every whim catered to, sometimes he was gonna meaning that he, yeah, meaning that he was able to abuse children repeatedly. He suddenly had everything taken away from him and was living in. I think he realized like the game was up. Wait a he second. He didn't have yeah. the power he had in two thousand eight. He, was he didn't able have to the friends he had in two thousand eight. Get away with it. And every the public, time in the, past. the public uh, view of what he had done had changed so much. We've done. He realized. Uh-huh. And you know when I, I joke about conspiracy theories, I don't. I'm not into anything no, too Brooke deep is in that. It's it's more the fact that I think if anything, this was extreme negligence. Two of the guards who were watching him fell asleep. The jail was understaffed for some reason. Yeah, they were on these crazy extended shifts and. And again, this is all my takes on this are really boring takes. They're mostly, well, we gotta wait and see. And it's probably just that the prison system is so understaffed, even when it's federal. And Occam's Razor Man, if somebody kills himself, they probably killed themselves because look at the position he's in. Yeah. But yeah, they were late in their shift. They were overworked. And he one had of the guards who was there. Watch. Yeah, the fact that he was taken off suicide watch is in itself negligence because they the fact that he yeah. was taken off suicide watch so soon after an attempt. There was, no matter what we find out in this, I think that in he may have felt pressured to 
commit suicide purely because he realized what was at stake. And, and other people being at stake, because wasn't this the day after some document dump? The that day after a, doc- a document dump that, that named who had been on his uh, plane, including <laughs> Donald Trump, who, which was not known before. It, it was known that Donald Trump had been at parties with Jeffrey Epstein and had a relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, but it had not been known that he had been actually on his quote-unquote Lolita Express, which is uh, the, yeah, which is the, the joking term for, murder for Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Express. And again, this was after after everyone already knew about the fact that he preyed on younger women. And it was so it was Donald Trump, it was Bill Clinton, it was Kevin Spacey. Oh no! Chris Tucker was we got some, some boys in there too. There's, there was It was me. I was there. I was there for one. Kenzie, we told you. I was to recruiting talk about this. <laughs> I was just following orders. Well, one thing that this actually parlays weirdly nicely into Nuremberg, because that was obviously a defense that was used in Nuremberg, but an old law professor of mine who is a Nuremberg scholar and, and worked in the special counsel's office in the Iran-Contra affair, he was talking about the number of suicides by Nazi war criminals in the Nuremberg trials when they were obviously the most famous prisoners in the world, yeah. really closely watched, and it does make you wonder how effective suicide watch ever is in a prison system, because it's not even like a healthcare setting where the agents are medical professionals and they actually care about the wards, if you will. So I wonder how effective Suicide Watch can ever be when people are overworked and don't give a shit. And either way, he wasn't on it. You know, yeah, I, I never underestimate the incompetency of bureaucracy, yeah. <laughs> really. There's, and the underfunding what, of bureaucracy and the it, efficiency. I Honestly, I would not be surprised if we found out that there was something a little more dark going on just yeah. because of who was named. But I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, you know, someone was in a cell with him or anything yeah, like that. Don't I don't think that's true. But the cameras are malfunctioning, for heaven's sake. Is Sorry, that actually true? Because ca- who couldn't have seen that coming? That's insane. The cameras are malfunctioning. Oh, boy. The guards were both asleep. He was taken off suicide watch. Like, nothing passes the smell test. And right. That's what, like I'm it, not advocating for any super, like, deep state or whatever. The Clintons did oh it. Oh, my God. I, if I have to see one more tweet about the Clinton body count... Listen, I'm so tired of this. Vince Foster did it. The Clintons faked his death, which people think the Clintons He's murdered him. He's a sleeper him. agent. <laughs> they kept him alive so he could be their murderer, and I just solved it. You're welcome, America. And with that, on a serious note, I wish this was not so much about Epstein. Obviously, it's going to be for a couple days, but the real import of this is that the victims do not get their day in court. They may get a day... For a second time. Yeah. For a second time, they're deprived of being able to look Jeffrey Epstein in the face and and speak their truth and talk about what he did to them and and then see him him face some sort of justice. And again, we talked about the imperfection of the carceral justice system for victims. This is one who really deserved it. He's the one that that the carceral system is designed for. No, when I talk about that, I'm mostly talking about just the fact that victims never... Oh, yeah. But he... the I know at least one victim arose... Mm Mm-hmm. Is suing his estate, and I hope that every single person sues the estate, wins, and just takes all of that disgusting money. The difficult legal import of that, and honestly for a lot of his cronies and agents, recruiters, a lot of the tangential cases, whether Mm -hmm. they be civil on the victim's behalf or people who, conspiracy, things like that, it's going to be a lot harder to get those people or to get those recoveries, respectively, because there's no underlying conviction. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot harder to about... say that we deserve money when there's this guy was never convicted of raping you. It's not impossible, yeah. but it sure would be a lot easier to say, look, he is my convicted rapist, give me money from his estate. Whereas now it's just, 
well, we filed a defamation suit, so it's really her word against his, and there's yeah. no conviction. So apparently, one of his recruiters, I think we decided her name is Ghislaine. 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 Ghislaine <laughs> Maxwell, she was just disappeared for a while, and yeah, then she right. just turned up and... uh, The Daily Mail found her, and so I don't know why she's not in jail. For once, the Daily Mail is doing the Lord's work, and I think this will be the only time. You know what? Sometimes the Daily Mail really gets out there and gets it done. Hey, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Oh, really quickly, and it's related to Epstein because today is the first day that filing is open for the Child Victims Act. Absolutely, yeah. The Child Victims Act in New York, it was partially in response to the... Everything. The church, Boy Scouts, what else we got? Epstein, honestly, because it it just was enacted today. Basically, it increases the statute of limitations for childhood abuse, which is huge. I think it it took it from... 23 to 28 28 for criminal uh for civil and for organizations it's actually 55 it also for one year if anybody has missed the statute of limitations within the last year it reopens the door and it looks back and just to um to put a, a strike under who this is going to affect representatives of the catholic church pushed against this legislation and legislation why? like this in philly why do you think that might be saying that basically this legislation was taking aim at the church and the, there were there were representatives of the orthodox jewish community who said the same thing Weird. and here's what i have to say about that if your organization is so closely tied to child abuse that systematic it will, rape that if, if, if it's so systematically tied to child abuse that it will affect your organization more than others then you that need to is, really reevaluate that is on you how that you, is not how on the you law. deal with child abuse within your organization instead of just ignoring it like has been happening for so long hmm Maybe this is a me problem. Wow. Maybe this is a church problem. And maybe of, if you have a problem with it, don't say it out loud because it doesn't help. The arrogance that they, oh, that they yeah. came forward and they somehow said this is attacking the church. That's the di- hill you're going to die seriously? on? Seriously? Anyway, yeah. I'm going to stop yelling. I'm um, sorry. But just to give an idea of the volume, we've been getting memos. But yesterday we were told in my courthouse we expected a thousand filings. So who? My... Lord. Okay, well, yep. yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So I'm also, really stoked about it, except for the workload. Stoked about it. <laughs> yeah, you're doing, you're literally doing uh, God's work there. Mm. But we're All right, guys. Yeah, we're going to move on. Um, other deus ex machina. The, the machina being guns. I just wanted to go over the the three mass shootings that happened. Mm. Again, the first one was at the Garlic Festival in California. The second was at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. The gunman killed 22 people Racially with an assault rifle. Ass. We will talk about this later as well, but he was a white supremacist who posted his manifesto on 8chan and said something along the lines of, spread this message around the brothers or something like that. And I it believe was, he picked people off based on what he interpreted as their manifestation of race. Like, I think there were stories of him passing over white customers. Well, his entire purpose was, quote unquote, pushing back against the invasion, which Trump's is a words, language that literally had word for word. invasion yes. uh, from Mexico. That was language that has been used a lot by the Trump administration, who seek to demonize and dehumanize Plenty immigrants from Mexico and South America in general. And so. Hitler. This was a very racially motivated attack. Um, Actually, I shouldn't say. Let's say racist. I said racially motivated too. Oh, it yeah, was racist. It was because a racist I know that attack. that's a way that people hedge on the yeah, news. We were, I, and no, it's, it was a racist attack. Uh, it had racial racism. It had just a breath of racism. Yeah, it's like the, it's the weirdest curbing, and we don't we, we don't want to fall into that. Yeah, this was a racist. This is a white supremacist who attacked people based on their race. I know that just from the outside looking in at the reactions on social media, I know that this has been really 
impacting the Latino community in the United States. And I mean, to already have that fear and then to see that fear realized oh, how is crippling. So I just, and I think, wasn't there a gunman that came to another Walmart within the last week too, evidently in an attempt to do the same thing? And the he wore a got gun to see if Walmart, quote unquote, respected Second Amendment rights. Which they ironically do a lot of the time. You and can just open he was carry. arrested. The charge was something like public disturbance. The irony is that what he was doing was not illegal in terms of bringing a gun into the Walmart. And that's no, just No, had like it been a in a different backwards. context, he probably would have just been yeah. allowed to walk around with it. Which just goes against so many gun safety rules and regulations. Right? You do not open carry a giant rifle on your back in, in a public space store. it can yeah. be taken from you one of my oh, good friends uh, jenna who she lives in the south and she is a gun owner and she's very passionate about gun safety and she there was a photo of a man in a starbucks with yep, a yep. giant rifle strapped to his back and she just broke down everything that was wrong well, with how the, he was holding it the caption was what would you do if you saw this would you leave would you feel be safer afraid. yeah would, and she was leave uh, as a hell. child could grab the trigger of that a huge point of gun safety is having control over your weapon and this should be common ground for everybody this is common sense then the the day after the el paso shooting there was a mass shooting in dayton ohio the gunman killed nine people and wounded at least 26 others including his sister including uh, i need to double check that hang on i think may have been trans and may have been a he hold on oh let me make sure we're using the right pronoun thank you because i know that the person was trans but i'm not sure the name released by authorities was a female name, but the sibling of the gunman identified as male, okay. and he went by the name Jordan Coffer. He was killed. I didn't know that. Wow, can you imagine? Insult to injury. This person has just been killed, and you're not even going to gender them correctly? Okay, yeah. maybe maybe plead ignorance. Maybe they didn't know. And this a lot of the, the reporting movie. after hasn't acknowledged it, so I'm not sure. No, yeah. I've seen, but the, the majority of the reports that I saw were said sister, said sister. Yeah. so we just want to be I mean, careful it, and be respectful especially after that someone the family yeah. was hedging and they it's, didn't like it you never yeah, know what we, we, don't, we don't know so he killed his brother and nine other people a lot of hay was made out of the fact that he <laughs> liked he was a democrat he, had he was a democrat he was also a raging misogynist who had a quote-unquote rape list of women who had turned him down and it seemed like the reason why he was carrying out this mass shooting had nothing to do with his politics so the difference is that Paso shooter explicitly noted his politics in his manifesto and the Dayton shooter had a lot of other the reasoning wasn't nearly as clear but he was a raging misogynist and he did not point to his politics as a reason for this right the direct connection is there between the El Paso shooter and Republican in politics and politicians and it's almost coincidental in the other case that doesn't even mesh with democratic politics so uh, it's fair to say that he was not politically motivated certainly had a loaded conception of gender as well if he had a rape list and he killed a trans sibling i can't it's actually there are so many mass shooters who have a history of either fantasizing about violence against women or violence against women or just misogyny that is the huge trend in mass shootings beyond gun ownership from people who shouldn't be owning guns i think that's the second highest commonality so to trace this through the best place to start is with the second amendment Let's the elusive go to the beginning. No, what is it? <laughs> the beginning. The very best place to start. The very best That's place close. To start. <laughs> there we go. You got it. The, the second sexy, amendment. mysterious, often discussed but never consulted Second Amendment. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do want to cite up here, Brooke and I both listened to this awesome episode that I would recommend to everybody from Radiolab, More Perfect Union. I think it first aired in 2017 after the Vegas shooting, if you can think back that many shootings. It's the history of the NRA. I think it's called The Gun Show, something like that. And it, it does a great rundown. And one thing that... It's a great deep dive. Yeah. I, it, there was a lot I did not know in there. A lot there. of history, a lot of law, but very digestible. But one thing that they did that was very useful was they read the amendment aloud with the comma placement because it is inscrutable. And even Scalia acknowledged in Heller, which is the formative decision that I think we even discussed when we were talking about Justice Stevens, mm-hmm. it's formation is unique to the constitution so what is the subject of the right is it militia is it the individual why are there so many commas what is it protecting and what's happening let's read the one that actually appeared in the constitution a well-regulated militia comma being necessary to the security of a free state comma the right of the people to keep and bear arms comma shall not be infringed Adam Winkler, who was consulted in that episode, said, it's almost as if the author had just discovered this wonderful new thing, the comma, and wanted to put it in there as many times as possible. <laughs> who doesn't love a good comma? Or four. Use an M dash. Get crazy yeah, with it. Yeah, go uh, Emily Dickinson on that bitch. It's pretty weird. It certainly seems like the subject of the sentence is well-regulated militia, but it's hard to say what is modifying that. So it... We start out in a very inscrutable place. And then you get into intention. Right. And and then you just get real messy. Yeah, and intention is something that I actually have the unique honor of citing my dad on this. Yay! Um, Pa Brennan. PaBrennan.com. My dad was a constitutional scholar from home as he raised a little unexpected rug rat that was me. But he wrote an article on original intent for the Harvard Law Review And he talked a lot about how original intent is kind of a false flag in and of itself. The whole school of jurisprudential thought was unheard of before the 70s. Its first advent in large use was the 80s, and Scalia really adopted it. So ironically, it's a new school of thought, even though it's invoking original intent. So much of this debate is based in, well, this is definitely what they meant, which has its own failings, even if you do take it at face value. And if you don't, we don't know that the framers even intended us to use their original intent. There are a lot of suggestions that they wanted the Constitution to be a living document that changed with the times. When speaking of original intent, my dad wrote, Constitutional interpretation justified by certain preferences of its enactors is variously labeled original intent, original understanding, or original meaning, depending, in part, on the optimism, credulity, or political preference of the observer. Hmm. The big problem with it is that there are so many divergent opinions from any period of time, certainly the framers, that people can just cherry pick things that fit their interpretation. And this gets into something we talk about all the time here, which is the subjectivity of law. and Absolutely. And how easy <clears throat> it is to bend it to your bias. Yeah, and if you pretend that you have some canonical interpretation that is unfailing, but don't consult all the... I, there's one It's thing, almost like the Bible in that way. Ah, interesting. That's like people can twist any text to coincidentally fit exactly what they believe. One thing that my dad cited was that Scalia uses quotes from the minority of the Pennsylvania Congress's dissenting opinion to some law. Hmm. Seriously, you took the minority's dissent in Pennsylvania and you're going to act like that is representative of original intent? Well, it is Pennsylvania, Mackenzie. Uh, 
<laughs> it's very twistable. It's very subjective. And it masquerades under the flag of legitimacy by mm. saying original intent. It's a subjective concept. I think it is mislabeled intentionally to give it credence. Also, again, if you call yourself an originalist, you are inflicting your own bias on whatever Absolutely. conclusion you come to. Yeah. It's not even that I oppose originalism or anything like it it's just that you have to take those opinions with a grain of salt do it honestly yeah knowing that we're looking back and that doesn't always mean that it is canon right and frankly there are enough opinions from the very same texts that people would rely upon to find original intent Mm -hmm. that say you know thomas jefferson has a great quote that says something like to depend upon the laws and their interpretation as they were when they were drafted is like asking a man to wear in his adulthood the same coat that he wore in his youth. Mm -hmm. So these were people who also recognized that societies change and adapt. And frankly, if we were to use original intent, even if we're saying that this is an individual right concept Mm -hmm. and it's absolute, give people muskets then. Muskets took two minutes to load one bullet. Even though I completely agree that the world has changed and the weapons have changed and the way that people use them has changed, I'm wary of that being applied to other things like the First Amendment. Oh, yeah. I don't endorse it, but I think that it's the inverse failing of originalism. Because if you are going to take it as the only way to measure rights, Mm -hmm. that's where it leaves us. It does nobody any good. Yeah. Okay. So do you want to go through some of the NRA and individual rights conception history? Yeah, so one thing mentioned in this podcast was just how little the NRA was involved in legislation or lobbying up until the 70s. It was mostly a publishing company. The founder was a New York Times reporter. Which is just mind-boggling. So beautiful. Also, their whole purpose was that they thought that people needed to be trained in how to use firearms, so they would do things like train Boy Scouts to properly shoot. Like target shooting, and it was originally designed to help Union soldiers, because they didn't know how to do target shooting well enough. So adding New York Times and Union (laughs) soldiers. If you think about the beast that is the NRA now... I know people who supported the NRA even 10 years ago who don't recognize it now and don't support them anymore because they started fighting culture wars. Mm -hmm. They just recently stopped broadcasting NRA TV because so much internal conflict that honestly has more drama than any episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. There was a lot of power struggle and infighting, but the advertising company that they had been associated with for a long time that produced the NRA TV, Mm. which is at this point almost the most recognizable arm of the NRA. That's where you get Dana Loesch. That's where you get... viewership. They certainly were peddling it a lot, but the viewership was pretty pretty low the the viewership was pretty low in most of the uh productions when you get to like dana loesch or dan bongino who were really loud and on fox news all the time and you know i remember one i'll call it a skit because i don't know what else to call it (laughs) because it's all parodic dan bongino this is kind of when i knew and i should have known before but this is kind of when i knew that it was taking a turn for the absurd it's putting the onion to shame (laughs) he was wearing a shirt that said socialist tears or something like that and he had a blender and he starts throwing lemons in the blender and talking about the left needing safe spaces or something it was such a weird tortured analogy and then he puts he just blends these whole lemons pours it in a glass and takes a drink of it 
And he's like, and that's why we stand for true America. It was just the weirdest, most I mean, it's a stone throw from the gay frogs with Alex Jones. It really is. And another time, they had a TV that was showing clips of late night hosts mocking Donald Trump. And Dan Bongino starts beating the TV with a sledgehammer. It's stuff like that. that Isn't that like that 1984 commercial? supposed to rile up the base. I don't know who this was for. I'm sure their audience was loyal, but narrow. And a lot of, you know, steadfast NRA supporters, once they saw the NRA going downhill a couple years ago with all this infighting between LaPierre and uh, Oliver North, Oliver North, a.k.a. Iran-Contra. Oh, yeah, speaking of. Head. Yeah, I don't know why the NRA thought that bringing on the guy who was responsible for one of the biggest scandals involving firearms Uh, in modern history was uh a good idea. But uh, so a lot of NRA people started moving away from that. Anyway, so the NRA has been redesigning itself for a long time and then in the 60s and 70s they responded to a movement started in california and i believe it was like the late 60s early 70s there was a series of very high profile cases where cops were shooting unarmed black men you know what's old is new again you're right (laughs) it didn't prelude the way that the that the community responded to that was the black panthers decided to arm themselves in a move toward self-defense they thought that if they were armed they would be able to fight back against police and i think also scare police into not being as threatening at the Second Amendment became the subtext of this to give some credence to their movement where it wasn't just I'm watching you police and I'll kill you but here's this thing that I'm going to invoke and and I know that I have to stand X feet away from you by local law and hey the Second Amendment we think it has an individual right to carry firearms. The Black Panther Party actually knew a lot about local laws and federal laws and that's something even to today if you're aware of your rights as a citizen you are able to have more confidence in situations like that. Yeah everybody should know these and yeah. so hey that's what we're here to do and it should be noted that later on Huey Newton shot a police officer and the Black Panther Party veered very far away from its original intent yeah but there's a lot of violence on everybody's part for a time their goal was to protect their community yeah and that was a noble one but of course nothing scares white conservatives like black people having any power So this was the first, maybe only time, that we saw a real convergence of conservatives being against the individual right to carry arms being derived from the Second Amendment. And there's a beautiful soundbite of the darling of the right, Ronald Reagan, saying, Then California governor. Yes. In response to this Mulford Act, which was introduced to respond to the Black Panthers, this act was written because white California saw Didn't like it. a group of black people arming themselves. Yeah, to defend themselves from something that people would not address otherwise. But the Mulford Act was aimed at them, and, and Reagan, in support of that, said, there is no scenario where a civilian should be carrying a loaded firearm. If you want to really see how the U.S. government responds differently to certain groups of citizens mm-hmm. arming themselves in defense... Compare that to the Bundy Party. Do you remember the Bundy Party? They yes. it was a, five or six years ago. I want to say um, this is Oregon. It was in Oregon. They were pushing against, um, I think, the government land, and they basically the Bundy family camped out on this land and were armed. It could have been like a mini Ruby Ridge. It could have been, but the government actually did not really push back. They kind of waited them out. Yeah. And even though I'm glad that they waited them out because we've seen how Ruby Ridge ended. We saw how, oh, what was that cult in Texas? Waco? 
Waco, yeah. You saw how that ended in Waco. That was horrifying. But you can see when it came to the Bundy party. We treat white people who are armed differently. Oh, that's kind of a nuisance. And it, oh, it's just quirky people versus when groups like the Black Panthers arm themselves. It's shoot first, talk later. Absolutely. And I think it's a reoccurring issue that keeps coming up. Yes, yeah, so we haven't solved it. We saw with the case of Flandio Castile in 2016, I believe, he was pulled over. I think he may have had a backlight out or something. It, it was a really It's another one of those reasons. innocuous things. It's I mean, so was, obviously a pretense to start something. Exactly. So he was pulled over and he had his uh, I believe three-year-old child in the car and his partner. And he told the officer, just so you know, I have a gun. I have a license to carry. It's in my... It's here. It's, it's in the glove It's in the glove compartment. The cop was like, shouting mixed orders. The cop was asking for identification. He's trying to pull out his wallet. He's saying, don't put your hand there. And the cop, without even seeing the gun... <laughs> shot him multiple times and killed him in front of his toddler and his girlfriend. And the NRA completely skirted around the no, issue. We don't care about that. They they wouldn't talk about it for months. And then when they finally came out and said, well, we didn't defend him because the cop smelled weed in the car. And if you're violating a law, it was it was absolute Wow, look at just, that faith we're putting on just, somebody's It was such a cop-out, and it was clear that they just did not want to take a position against a, a police officer. And it shows the motivation of the movement and how inextricable from one another the most insidious lines of conservative politics are now intrinsically part mm-hmm. of Second Amendment conception and Absolutely. how Second Amendment conception is driven by the NRA. Jameer oh, Rice, too. Absolutely. He didn't actually have a gun, and he was a child. And yet, you would think... If this group is so pro-gun ownership and everybody having a right to do that, wouldn't we think don't shoot a kid just Why because assume you the think, worst? Yeah. There is not the inherent bias toward right. white young white men. Yeah, this intersects with racial and police issues in a very interesting way because, I mean, the whole jump to modern conceptions of the Second Amendment is the weirdest thing, maybe it's the sleeper hit weirdest thing, in this whole jurisprudential shift because yeah. somehow... Very quickly, white conservatives took what initiated as a left-wing black issue and took it as fear that people were coming for their guns. And I guess maybe there's, like, the alarmist, isolationist tendency that tends to be an undercurrent. Yeah. In, in those political climates, but... I do just want to say, if you're if you're interested in more about, about this issue, read the racist history of gun control in america by jane coaston it's mm. i believe it was for vox but um that that is a really in-depth dive into this and it's fascinating so sorry yeah. so before you move on i wanted no, that's to great. i also i also got some of my information from her and why it's so perplexing except for if you just acknowledge the weird vagaries of racism and how it it just it, it's not grounded in logic and so you can't impose logic on it um and, and then kind of other undercurrents like fear and lack of information Right. That, but so this, I guess, brings us to the very first time that the amendment was thought of as an individual conception. And, and we'll say that the Second Amendment was for like a century plus centuries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Centuries thought of as kind of akin to the Third Amendment, which is the quartering soldiers amendment that it really does not come up in modern society. It certainly was not seen as um a reason to be an individual right and i think that this is a great example of how something does not have to be constitutionally grounded for it to be protected on the state level or right. on a lot of other levels that there really were not restrictions that kept people from owning guns like in a binary you either can or you can't way 
before the individual rights conception came about in Heller. People had guns. That was a thing that was allowed. It was regulated. And frankly, we saw a lot fewer mass shootings. Mm -hmm. So Heller then was 2008. And we have talked about this case briefly before. It was the first one. Honestly, a lot of this came up with the NRA, number one, getting more into the Second Amendment, which they had not before. And more into the political scene and spending more money and being more involved. Because they had an identity crisis in the 70s where they were bankrupt and they almost took rifle out of the name because they're like, well, maybe we'll start being um, an advocacy group for some other cause. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll broaden our horizons because we don't really know what to do with this rifle association thing. But uh, in 2000, George Bush's attorney general, John Ashcroft, he liked guns a lot. And he made it his business to write one of those Justice Department memos that we have talked about in so many creepy contexts that said... Yeah, I did not expect Justice Department memos to come up so often in this right? podcast. And it's like it's... every week. The Kennedys and Justice Department memos are the two yeah, through lines. Yeah, those are the through lines. They're the themes. So John Ashcroft made it his business to say... By the way, even though this really is not an issue that was at the forefront of anybody's mind, it is a position of the Bush administration, baby Bush, G.W. Bush, that there's an individual right in the Second Amendment. Bye. Shortly after that, there was a law passed in the District of Columbia, which tends to be more liberal, uh, that banned possession of handguns. And the NRA... And actually, the the Cato Institute, which is a weird libertarian... um, Oh, yeah, I know the Cato Institute. Yeah, my dad wrote for them, and then he got too liberal, and they parted ways. They have turned out some really good stuff, and they've turned out some stuff I disagree with. Yeah, they 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 can be a force for good, too. Yeah, as I think libertarianism can be in a lot of different issues, because there's some inherent privilege that comes with a a no-regulation approach. They... There's a concept in jurisprudence called standing, and it means that nobody can bring a case on their behalf unless there is a justiciable injury. So unless you really can show not only were your rights violated, but something actively happened to you. So they had a lot of great, apple-cheeked, wonderful potential plaintiffs who were of all races and some were nurses. Like, they had a great bevy of good people, but no standing. They just kind of theoretically wanted a gun, and they couldn't get one. But... In comes Dick Heller. Brooke uh, likes Dick Heller. I <laughs> I did not know about the personality of Dick Heller. Basically, he just had this gun that he liked because it looked like a cowboy gun. That's his words. He said he caressed it. So when this law passed, he had to take his gun to, to his, his brother's house in Maryland. Like sending a child off to school. He had to send his gun to his brother's house. And, and he said he would literally go visit he, it. He used the word caress. He would caress his cowboy gun. Is it's, it his kid? Is it his sexual it, partner? Go Who listen knows? to this podcast because it is so bone chilling to it, hear they this actually guy talk interview about him because he's still around yeah the weirdest thing he's i've ever sick heard man he was sick then he's sick now go figure i don't know what his deal is all i know is that no one should be caressing any guns okay no, it's right. like people who kind of want to fuck cars <laughs> it's like man cars are we fine. all know one people and for brooke it's me who <laughs> we won't even let her near a car no that's why i live in this city but another highlight of the podcast it happened to have been taped on the day after the election and a protest march against Trump was, I guess, occurring nearby. And Brooke, what did he say? So first of all, he was like, we got to go to the other side of the street. 
and the interviewer. Oh, yes, and he sought them out. Why? And he goes, oh, though there are these Trump protesters over here. The interviewer said most of the protesters were white, but several <sighs> black men walked by, and Dick Heller said, see you on the plantation. Yeah. And then tried to kind of walk that back. Oh, he the absolutely interviewer does. was like, do you mean... Why'd you just say that? Yeah, why'd you just say that? And he's like, if you're on the government dole, you're close to a ball and chain. And Trump likes freedom, so yeah, I just they, wanted to talk about so freedom. Like, the protesters were obviously shouting down Love with Trump's Trump. Hate. But what about freedom? What are you talking Dude, about? Dude, you know what? He got all the validation he needed for his beliefs by being the poster child of this movement. Dick Not Heller. even a neutral poster child, a bad one. <gasps> a bad poster a bad child. Poster we're child. taking a stance. He was the only one that they could find who actually had a justiciable injury and thus had standing to be the plaintiff in this case because he had this precious little caressable gun that he wanted to license and was formally rejected from licensing. Oh yeah, in case you want to just think about this when you're trying to fall asleep, he took a job as a security guard so he could have a gun most of the day. Seems like a good reason for making a career Vet choice. Vet your security guards, guys. Anyway. Yeah. What did the Heller decision do, exactly? So the Heller decision walked back not only an interpretation of the amendment that really dated back to 1776, or prior to that in the Constitution's drafting, it overruled precedent militia conception that allowed for more individual regulation. So the last case that had addressed the Second Amendment, because it was few and far between, was Miller, and that did not find an individual right. Heller did, and Scalia does some remarkable acrobatics. This is another one that was 5-4, as a lot of these close, very political cases are. Scalia says, and for all the cherry-picking and interpretive stretching that originalism does, he does not explain this one. He says, it's very clear that the operative phrase is the one about the right to bear arms. Even though well-regulated militia is the subject of the sentence, he divides them at the second comma and says this is clearly the operative one and this is the one that was intended to be used. So at the end of the day, it said that there is an individual right proposed by the Second Amendment and we're even cherry-picking our originalism because they don't go as far as to say, mm -hmm. okay, it gives you a right to muskets and it has to be within the bounds of a state-run militia. But ironically, what they do say, and I think is undercapitalized upon by middle-of-the-road folks or gun control folks, sometimes the tween meet, is that Heller supports gun control. Yeah. They said this is not to say that states or the federal government cannot limit who can be licensed, who can purchase a gun how much oversight there is of the obtaining process, where one can be carried. In fact, it says that this is not to say that the right is absolute. Mm -hmm. And you think of other Bill of Rights rights, like the right to free speech. Yes, you have it, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Yeah. So there are limits, and they're often where the safety of somebody else begins and your freedom ends my right to throw a punch ends where your nose you begins. got it and i think that that's a really good conception of a lot of these rights you're free to do this until or unless you're infringing on somebody in a good way that we have to gauge whether you'll infringe in the gun setting is if you have a predilection towards danger if you have not been checked out domestic violence hmm. this is a great segue so we live in, in new york city which has a, a pretty regulated gun use. oh yeah i am fine with that because the thing is, there is a different level of safety from my family in Wyoming owning guns after going through hunter safety, understanding that guns are dangerous, keeping them locked away. Yeah. That is different from having a weapon in a crowded city. Oh, God. You could not shoot it. 
it's getting dangerously close to one of Trump's quotes, but you could not shoot a gun on Fifth Avenue without potentially hitting 10 unintentional targets. When we talk about gun rights in America, and even I think the right to bear arms is implied by the Second Amendment, but that does not mean that who you are, where you live, your past history, and how likely you are to do something like shoot 20 people in a Walmart shouldn't be taken into consideration. That's true of the ways that we limit other rights also. I mean, if you commit a crime, you've waived a lot of rights of citizenship, and that's up for debate. But if there are things like domestic violence or predilection towards... Violence of any kind. Yeah, yeah. Or ideology that suggests that you're going to engage in this type of thing. And it it actually intersects with First Amendment. We should get into that more... So a couple of the different solutions that have been offered, because we've decided as a country that, you know, you can't, you can't limit. We've decided that killing kids isn't enough to infringe on the right to bear arms. Right. So we, we have taken a stance as a country that mm-hmm. we, we can regulate, but we cannot fully fire We can't even regulate. Like, even, like, we even, couldn't even take away bump stocks without a fight. Yeah, this whole, every attempt toward regulation has been pushed back against by the NRA and by people who are afraid of slippery slopes. In recent years, at least. And I think the slippery slope people are being exploited by people who are being paid off. Absolutely. I mean, it's fear mongering. Yeah. But some of the solutions that have been proposed, one I agree more with than the other, one I'm very fearful of. So one of them is red flag laws, which would basically enable family members, coworkers, friends of people who they see as dangerous to report them to police and then police can potentially confiscate whatever weapons they may have. Particularly if they, if family members or whoever's reporting knows that they have access to weapons. Absolutely. So that's, that's potentially a positive step. One thing that I am extremely wary of was, it's been talked about a lot, but um, proposed by our own governor, Governor Cuomo. And he, right after the El Paso shooting, he came out and gave like a five-point agenda of what we could do to decrease gun violence. And one of them was a federal database for those who are mentally ill. Which obviously would be paired with with a limitation on people who are mentally ill obtaining guns. Absolutely, because we already have an example of this. The SAFE Act, which was passed after Sandy Hook, established a database in New York State. So you can kind of see how this worked out in practice. I'm sorry, of of mentally ill people or those who own guns? Both. It was mentally ill people who might have access to guns. Oh, so it was not an I mean, I know it's not in isolation, but knock on wood, because I am on antidepressants and they don't have That's my... That's the thing is that they don't have you don't number. know if you're on the list. You don't know if you're in the database because they don't inform you. It's once a weird that was due process issue. It also may be a violation of a lot of HIPAA laws. They... So you can override HIPAA for safety concerns and if you formulaically say that that exists. How you identify people who are mentally ill, what mental illnesses are even included in this? How do you find these people? It's a tricky, tricky thing, especially without gun control independent of this. And you and I were talking about this before with a lot of these factors that tend to pair nicely to varying degrees with this type of violence. Gun ownership is the biggest one, obviously. Yeah. That is inalienable, always overlapping. But With things like mental illness, it gets really, really tough because, first of all, people who are mentally ill are not necessarily more prone to violence. In fact, statistically, they're more likely to be the victims of violence because, I don't mean to cast dispersions, I'm muddling through the wording. Again, I'll say, I've been in therapy, I'm on antidepressants, I'm messed up. So this, I'm talking about a category of which I am a part. But they're more likely to be vulnerable themselves than to make other people vulnerable or to have the resource and inclination to do that. 
That said, there is a Venn diagram, obviously, of people who commit shootings, and that entire circle is within the greater circle of mentally ill. It's almost self-proving, right? Yeah. Like, you have to be mentally ill to do something like that. But the larger circle, the outside circle of people who are mentally ill is so much broader and wider than everybody within it being part of this smaller category. And with the passage of the SAFE Act, a lot of mental health advocates were worried Mm. that the idea of being put on a state database would actually prevent them from seeking help. And I think that's true of a lot of kinds of people, not just people with paranoid schizophrenia, but it furthers the stigma against mental illness. And and when we live in a country that doesn't have reciprocal protections, like access to healthcare, like funding for medication, even attitudinally, culturally, an environment where you can talk about these things safely that it's a really dangerous pairing. And I can just picture for anybody like that, even me, it would just take one thing, whether it's, you know, I get in a dispute or am raped or you get a divorce and you want custody of your children. It just takes that one public piece of information to be like, well, Mackenzie's on the Mackenzie's on the database. Brooks yes. on the database. And that's another question: is if we had a federal database like this, who would take ownership of that? Who, yeah. which agencies would have access to it? Especially How would it be no used? Notice. Could it be used by other members of the public? How would other people know if you were on the list? So I think almost violates a right to privacy in a way, doesn't it? Well, ironically, we don't have a right to privacy written in the Constitution, and that's the same thing that jeopardizes things like abortion. That's yeah. the question I had. This is why so many of these social issue-based rights are inter locking because the way that we conceive of it now no pun intended is that there are these penumbras shadows that are cast by other rights the right to free speech and the third amendment actually to not have people from the government invade your home these all cast these penumbras that imply a right to privacy this is getting a shade of gray yeah well i think the problem i have with a mental health database is that it can be abused by the government so easily and if we end up under a more authoritarian administration if that's possible who decides that maybe we should just put everyone who's on the mental health database into a facility. If that's going to help public safety, then maybe everyone should just be institutionalized. Or you don't just, let them get public aid. Or uh, There are so many ways this could be abused that I don't yeah. think that it's a good direction to go. I think, I think it's possible to write something that's less restrictive, and so I wouldn't write it off in, in such a binary way. Say if it was psychologists or psychiatrists reporting in a similar way that they report crimes. If you think that this person is a danger to themselves or others and they may be seeking a gun or have a gun, then you report through some anonymous documented route and there's notice to the person. And like, I need to double to check do it, to I see think. exactly how in the SAFE Act people ended up on the list. But I know that in effect did was that if you were going in to try to buy a gun, mm-hmm. they would check to see if you were on the mental health list yeah. and then they would alert local authorities. And see that, again, the, the paradox is how do you make sure that that is the only way it's yeah, used exactly. and you weigh the benefits and the drawbacks of that. But if there is a way to enforce it just being used for that, that bothers me a whole lot less because if I ever were to do something that would get me placed on that list, mental illness plus violence plus wanting a gun. I think it has to be mental illness with the addition of something else. Plus and, not just, and not just seeking a gun, but a violent tendency. Yeah, in a hypothetical, let's say that someone in upstate New York has an ex 
ex who won't stop showing up at her house and trying to break into her house. And she. Oh my God, wait, my ex lives in upstate New York. Are you talking about me? (laughs) I'm not talking about you, but this is just an, an example of what could go wrong. Let's say that she has depression and she's been treated for depression. Maybe because her ex sucks. We don't know. Mm, but maybe. she, her ex is stalking her and he has a history of violence and she's tried telling the cops, but the cops don't always have the best history Especially of actually with DV. <laughs> responding to that. So she just wants a handgun in her house to defend herself. She's in the middle of nowhere and the cops don't respond well and she's terrified of this guy. But she's been treated for depression. So she goes in to buy a gun and she gets flagged. And those are the situations where if you are completely anti anyone owning firearms, you might say, well, that's just a situation that might come up. But if you are like me and you think that there are legitimate reasons for owning a firearm in certain situations, that is really scary because it can hurt the most vulnerable people. Yeah. And I do want to caution there's there's such a false narrative about gun control meaning all or nothing. And I and I think that really pairs with the whole Obama's coming to take our guns because I don't know that there's a huge swath of people that says, you know, we don't want anybody to have guns. I think that's kind of a talking point that's used a lot. I think yeah, that that's to, a minority among, yeah. among people who want gun regulation. But I guess the other question too would be what is the effect of the red flag? Is it a permanent bar or is it the trigger to another step in the process? Right, so like these are the with, mental, with the mental health database especially, it's how do you get off? Do you get off after treatment? Right. Are you on permanently? There's just bar questions that possession? I would like answered before we that consider that, that seriously. Necessary in a drafting process, but for me, it's not off the table. The other thing that I would say, kind of to debunk certain proposals, because I don't know that we've even said this yet, that mental health has been a real diversion, red herring for red flags, that people have kind of been using it as an excuse to not propose actual gun-related solutions and saying, oh, it's just... We need to focus on mental illness instead of... A mental health problem, and it was summarized so succinctly and effectively in a tweet that was like, ah, yes, because this happens in the U.S., the only place in the world with mental illness. Right. And obviously that is not the case. Um, Mental illness happens everywhere, and it is the, the confluence of that and access to guns and a culture that I think worships violence and you know, bruise things like toxic masculinity that we'll get to. The last thing that I want to debunk as a false proposal and another diversion from actually addressing gun control is the violent video games narrative. I was looking into this today and it looks like it is less clear that video games are not something that makes people violent, but it seemed to me that a lot of the studies that connect them, they kind of raise a correlation versus causation thing. So, And again, as you said, with we're not the only country with mental illness, we're not also not the only country with violent video games. Mm -hmm. If you look at places like Japan, which is an epicenter of video game technology and usage, They don't have mass shootings in Japan. Yeah, and they have very stringent gun control laws. And the thing is that it not only cuts down on the occurrence of these things, but it cuts down on the fatality. So say you have the worst mentally ill video game freak in Japan, and we've seen this. They bring a knife. And, And yes, there was that arson attack in Japan recently, and it was the highest fatality of an attack, and it paled in comparison to just one of our last ones yeah yes we can never completely stop violence but through smart regulation you can curb it and let's talk mental illness in a way that is effective and not just only bringing it up and absolutely so something that kind of connected a a couple of the most recent mass shooters all the them (laughs) 
the one in El Paso posted his manifesto on HN, which is a toxic platform for not only white supremacy, but the um, dregs of society. Yeah. Just misogyny. It's a it's a, it's rampant misogyny. It's rampant fantasizing violence, especially violence against women, but violence against quote unquote normies or just people who exist okay, outside on. of that very specific world. There were three mass shooters. The the Christchurch shooter who in attacked a mosque in New Zealand posted his manifesto on HN right before he live streamed his attack. And then the Poe synagogue shooter actually noted the New Zealand shooter as inspiration and also posted his white supremacist manifesto to HN. I think it's notable that this is the only time that HN ever comes up in society. It's- it's like they're curing cancer like, on 8chan. No. 8chan exists because 4chan was kicking Gamergate people off because they got too misogynistic. Yeah. And 4chan kind of exists because Reddit was censoring too much. And Reddit is a cesspit. It, Reddit so is already a cesspool that I'm afraid imagine, of. I'm sorry. Reddit is fine in its best corners, but in, in its, its worst, worst corners, it's horrifying. And, yes. and a two-step sequential, we were too shitty for each one, so we set up our own colony. And these are usually men who are extremely isolated from the outside world world usually self-imposed isolation they may have some sort of antisocial disorder that makes them more inclined to try to find communities on their computer but they usually have a lot of self-loathing and anger and underlying misogyny and of hatred of other people's lack of self-blame and you and I were trying to puzzle through this beforehand yeah. because both of us have gone through mental health stuff and that's not something that you educate yourself out of or fully leave behind but I get a little bitter when I hear it bandied about and when there's a lack of ability to blame yourself. And that really is a common just take denominator. responsibility for Blame yourself health. for your hatred. And f- yep. especially when it gets into an entitlement to women's bodies, which is a real through line. Which a lot of people who find these forums are younger dudes. They have a lot of this anger, but they don't know where to direct it. And then the forums instruct them to direct it at women and at themselves. It's self-loathing, but no self-responsibility. Yes. And it's a sense of entitlement that you don't have to change. The world around you should change for you to fit whatever problems you have. It's the world's fault for not giving you what you're entitled to. And let's address involuntary celibacy Do you want to introduce this first? So, uh, the wonderful world of incels. Yeah, incels or involuntary celibates are... uh, They call themselves. They call themselves incels. Basically, they are men, this tiny portion of women, but it's 99.9% men, who blame women for not having sex with them. A lot of them believe that they are owed sex and they believe in like the redistribution of sex. So people should be forced to have sex with you if you have a deficit of sex. You, but you should get it without any effort because again, these are people who are not going out. It's not like they're trying to talk to people and putting themselves out there and being nice like humans do to other or just humans. Or trying to learn how to interact with people or going to therapy. Yeah, or to be women should, hot women, because there's also a real image-based thing that they don't like what they deem to be ugly women. Yeah. They want hot women to essentially knock on their door and provide them with sex on their terms and then bail. This, or it, kill you. It, it's partially a sense of entitlement to women's bodies. It's partially a misunderstanding of the fact that you are not owed sex, that no one is owed sex. But it's also, again, it's a stack of things. The, in the, these forums are not encouraging people to go out there and try or get out. They actually demonize people who are quote unquote faking it. If they say, I went out to a club this weekend, you are Shut demonized up. in those forums for stepping out because they want to be victims. They don't really. 
meet up in real life either, which in reality, conversations have nuance and going out in society has nuance that you don't even realize you're getting. And I want to address the concept of entitlement to sex, comparing it to other ideas, because I do hear a lot of questioning. I mean, after not this most recent incel-related shooting, but I feel like it was the last one, whenever that was. We don't know for a fact that the El Paso shooter was identified as incel. Involved in the 8chan world, which is very incel-heavy. And honestly, between El Paso and Dayton, the one having a rape list and the one being, I mean, had a manifesto on this site that has fostered incels and incel friendly if you will they definitely did not have healthy views of women but i would say that they certainly fit a lot of those characteristics but this actually relates to the quote that you provided about your right to punch to extend your fist and where somebody else's nose starts we recognize as a society and i I just want to get this out there at a ground level because maybe there are guys who haven't had sex in a while hey maybe there's a girl out there who thinks that this should be a right and if i want it why should I not have it? Yeah. This is a right that entails two people. Yep. You, we all accept that we, even if we're feeling really aggressive, whether at that person or just in general, we don't have a right to go out and punch the first person we see. Yeah. Because to do something that is physically imposing something on someone else. The, it's uh, Sex involves two parties and mm-hmm. the other person has autonomy and agency you know that you can inflict other physical things on someone without them also accepting it or you do not have a right to someone else's body and when it comes down to it again if you're celibate and that was not your choice and you would like to have sex and you aren't work for um, it or masturbate man sorry dude this is just one of those things that's like yeah this, it's tough out here you gotta it, it, this is not this is you not you are not owed sex enslave this is not, somebody else because you feel a thing and, and then the word, we, even have to, we don't even have to really i don't think anybody necessarily believes it but i think going through the talking point because there have been some op-eds in the wake of these shootings that are like well should we redistribute sex oh and yeah was that the rasta though yeah, something or something like in that. the last wave it flirted with the idea of redistribution of sex it was mainstream I even saw, enough that it frightened me i even saw people tweeting after the el paso shooting when we started talking about male rage and misogyny mm-hmm. and how they intertwine who and i won't say his name because i don't even want to push people to his twitter but he said these men they're told not to be men they're told masculinity is bad so that they're not masculine and then women will only sleep with masculine men and mm-hmm. so they keep getting rejected over and over again and then they get so angry that they hate women and they said misogyny is not the problem here oh yes and it's you, misogyny hurts men and women and toxic masculinity absolutely hurts men and women misogyny like the, because misogyny also prevents men from seeking help from seeking therapy oh, yeah. from being tapped into their emotions from, from talking about talk their about their, body their, or yeah. their mental illness and i do want to clarify that toxic masculinity is not a qualifier on all masculinity it's a qualifier of toxic masculinity i know so many men who are manifestations who are representative of healthy masculinity right. and that's it's, good you know, and that's fine and there's nothing wrong with that femininity exists uh, in their own on a right. spectrum and this it's saying masculinity that is toxic the other thing that i i did want to bring up as a parallel is the effort that goes into being liked and i think that that comes up too when you look at these insular communities that 
don't involve going out but also expect entitlement to being accepted pattern is that they might be rejected once or twice or think that because that's proof that no one will ever sleep with them and therefore the world is unfair and therefore they should never go outside again but you know you got to put effort in we all recognize let's say celebrity is the ultimate example of people liking you on a large scale we recognize that nobody has a right to celebrity we don't have a right to people liking us especially if we unilaterally expect it and do nothing to further it yeah so that you know all right guys we have really hashed out this uh i love when we spend a bunch of time talking about hn but just as a solution to this a if you are a man who is struggling with these feelings just trying to surround yourself with healthy guy friends who have good views of women and can maybe help you interact with both men and women and talk about Mm -hmm. your feelings that's maybe a solution there and then also if you know someone who might be involved in this or if you're a parent of a boy and you're afraid of them getting involved in this helping them develop healthy coping skills and helping them putting them in situations yeah teaching them agency of themselves and other people autonomy that's that's important and um if you're a guy who's listening to this and you are struggling with anger or that feeling that you are socially isolated there are people out there put your find healthier you're never going to find happiness in forums where you are constantly being told to hate yourself and hate other people where you're going to find a path out is finding healthy groups of people who you can socialize with and will help you through that And I want to have some empathy for people who are going through any degree of mental illness, whether it be incel adjacent or just getting through the day or, you know, feeling lonely. It is a a hell of a burden and it sucks and it's not fair and it it allocates a a responsibility that some people are not going to have, but it's not a lack of control over what hand you're dealt, it's up to you then to deal with it well you don't have control over how people treat you but you have control over how you conduct yourself you have control over communities you hang out in it's effort every day but it does get easier and it is worth it so do it put a mask on take a bubble bath and then go outside and try to communicate and then we can make jokes about it when we get a little bit better (laughs) all right guys i like that rant uh we we gotta get out of here but thank you so much for listening places to be home with our pets yeah I gotta go home to my plant. I kill all my plants. My plant's already dead. She's gonna all right, go guys. home to her victim. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll see you. We'll see you around, guys. Also, I just have a quick question. If you either were involved in like a forum like this or know people who got sucked into forums like this, 8chan or Reddit, where either you came out of it or someone you know did, well, I, I want to hear from you. Yeah. Or you got isolated because you were too good. You're like, that's a story I've... Yeah, just actually, I'd, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear about people's women stories. Women and men. I women mean, and women, men, yeah. we all have creepy man stories, but if you have a particular interaction on one of these forums that was earth-shattering. I, I've never talked to someone who's actually in one of these forums, outside of some DMs that I got that were rough. But, see? See? So, you can email us at xxcedinglypersuasive at gmail.com or DM us. Please be nice. And we'll be nice be to nice, you. And we'll be nice back at you. All and right, guys. Thank you so we, much for listening. We are on the media that is social. I am MKZJ Brennan on Instagram and on Twitter. I am Get Me To A Nunnery with a number two. Uh, I am BKE Rogers on Twitter. And I am Brooke Angeline on Instagram. Did I say that one? I think it's called Twitter. That sounds right. Bye, guys.